Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Linda Tome Duong. She is a motivational speaker, best-selling author, and thought leader in happiness and connection based in Sydney, Australia. Linda is an in-demand life coach who helps her clients to attain and reignite their happiness by connecting with themselves, others, and the universe. She specializes in child and parental coaching with a particular interest in gifted education and emotional intelligence to develop the fully rounded potential of a child. Linda and I will be having a conversation about her amazing life's journey, her mission to inspire others to attain their ultimate happiness, and how you can use her simple techniques from her book, Connection, the Currency to Happiness, to experience bliss right now. Good morning, Linda. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I am so good. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's so wonderful to be joining you. <laughs> the place where the koalas are always eating and sleeping. It's the <laughs> happiest place to be. <laughs> it is a pleasure to have you on here with me. Connection, the currency to happiness is a delightful read. It is very informative and thorough. I love the various tips, by the way. So congratulations on its release. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been helping a lot of people around the world. Fantastic. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> so a quick summary. Uh, well, I was born at the end of the Vietnam War. So things were very basic back then. I didn't mm-hmm. know what a computer looked like. So I grew up with black and white TV, black and white photos. So if you could imagine that. So it was pretty much very, very basic, a black and white you know, life back then. And um, on top of that, I had motion sickness. So I couldn't go anywhere much except to stay home. <laughs> I couldn't even get on a bus. So that was how primitive it was. Like my world was just very basic. I didn't even mm-hmm. have a world map or a globe model. Mm-hmm. Um, so very blank mind. And suddenly at the age of 15, I was teleported to Sydney, which was a complete new and different world from east to west. And it was a complete cultural shock. I didn't have the language skill. I didn't have friends. Yeah, growing up in Sydney, because I didn't have the language skill and I didn't have friends, you know, everything was so different. Um, so I began looking for happiness very early on in my life. That, that journey started then at the age of 15. That's when the quest started at that young age of 15. And so, yeah, the, this book shares that life journey and how I found my happiness. And, yeah. Wonderful. Going back to your childhood, how did you experience connection as a child? Oh, it, it, for me, it was quite unusual in a sense that I was able to experience in a very special way due to my circumstances. So because I had motion sickness, I couldn't go anywhere much. But then at the same time, my mom had to go away a lot, which I shared all in books. So... There was this, like, you know, missing the connection, missing the daily interaction. But that by the time that I was with my mom, I valued the connection. We had a really special connection. I think that's how I experienced it, death, the, the death of the meaning, you know, when you're really connecting with someone rather than just being with someone there. You know, like sometimes we mm-hmm. sit with each other, but we're not really connecting. Whereas for me... Mm-hmm. Each moment that she was present, she was there physically, we were really connecting. And, that, and that's how I was able to learn it early on uh, with that special meaning when you're really connecting with someone, you know. And especially with your mom, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Very interesting. In reading your book, one of the things that you talk 
about is the fact that you had also made a special connection to your nieces and nephews because you were so much younger than your sister. And so you were basically yes. an aunt at a very young age. So tell us about that. Yes. <laughs> so um, I'm the second youngest of the 10 children. So you can imagine there's a big age gap. So my parents' age and my age of big, big gap, and between my elder sister and myself, a very far gap as well. So by the time she had, she got married, uh, relatively early, around 20, uh, back then, you know. So when she had her child, I was still very young. I was only about five. Mm-hmm. But coming from the Eastern culture, we still had to uphold our status, so-called. You didn't get called an aunt for nothing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I still have to perform an aunt role, so-called. So, yes, I was, you know, um, it's kind of like very interesting. I had to be mature at a very young age, and so I was always called it, you have an old soul. But um, I was still a child, so it was kind of like really interesting. So it was just really simple, that things like, you know, even though you're similar age, but you don't fight for toys because you know that you're older, so you're more giving, you're more allowing. You just naturally become a bit more mature, become a bit more responsible, kind of. I see. There's a sense of kind of responsibility as a young adult child in a way you're coming across as someone who is more from protection standpoint of view and wanting to take care of them versus being one of them i presume that's right that's right so you just know that well chronologically i am a few years older so you naturally would have that anyway just like brothers and sisters you know you will look after your little one mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. on top of that layer knowing that i'm an aunt you just naturally bring out that responsibility a bit more. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it was a blessing in, in that sense that, you know, you I got to experience being, you know, in the older position to look after them and to care for them. And so the parenting skill that I get, people often ask me, you know, how did you know that? Like, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, I listen, you know, I got trained and lived early. <laughs> Very interesting. Why I'm passionate in parenting. <laughs> very, very interesting. How do you look at happiness as a child? You see, I was mature early already in that sense. I mean, I still play, I still run around, I still argue and fight. <laughs> but in my mind, at a certain point in time, I really know that I had to be more responsible, you know, I had to be a bit more mature. But also back then, the time is very different than now, right? These days, the children would be happy eating lollies, you know, ice creams and pizza maybe. (laughs) I didn't have any of those, you see. Mm -hmm. So for me back then, especially when you have eight siblings above you, you know, when you have a household of so many people, um, there's often a lot of, dialogue, a lot of noises going on, you know, a lot of commotion, right? And so I used to enjoy quiet time, and I used to love, love my alone time. And, um, yeah, I I actually, the quiet time was my happy time. Mm -hmm, Um, It was mm -hmm. my thinking time. It was my imagination time. But more so, um, there were nights um, Mm -hmm. I would go for a walk with my dad. He would take me to the neighborhood, uh, you know, back then in the, in, if you could imagine in the, in Asia, you have, you know, mm-hmm. night stores. And we would go for our sweet, the dessert. But the dessert back then is different than now. It's not like cake. <laughs> Here we mm-hmm. have cake, mm-hmm. you know? It's not exactly like that. The Eastern mm-hmm. uh, culture kind of sweet. It's uh, a lot of health space, you know, like, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. it was, I, I still remember that, that dessert. It was the white fungus that mm-hmm. is cooked with papaya. So it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the Chinese families still cook it now because it's supposed to be good for your throat. It's, good, it's healing. It's soothing for your body. And, uh, yeah, that's the dessert that my dad used to take me to go and have, and that's our special time when my mum is not mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those, uh, those were the quite, uh, it's very different than now, isn't it? 
Yet, what's interesting about the lifestyle is that it is fairly simple back then as compared to relatively now. However, during those process, there were a lot of nurturing, and did those nurturing moments promote self-confidence? Well, um, I think it's more so of um, feeling safe. You know, when you're a little and you are nurtured, it's a lot of feeling safe to begin with. And yes, that will eventually build to confidence later on in adult life. But uh, again, back then in Vietnam, it wasn't exactly like now. We don't actually promote self-confidence as such. So back then, if you could imagine, life was quite difficult, a lot about survival, you know, a lot about having enough to go on physically, you know, food and surviving. So it was a lot to do with building character, building resilience, you know, to, to face your tough times. You know, how do we go through this period when it's so tough? So it's a, a lot more character building in resilience, in um, having dignity and integrity. Because the time was tough, the situation was, you know, it's a poor condition and with limited resources, right? People sometimes can't help it by take things from each other. Do you know what I mean? Like kids mm-hmm. might end up stealing things, right? So then therefore... The focus was a lot on building the character. Like our parents would always teach us, you know, how to, you know, behave well and that, you know, you, you, the, the basic, the core value. And then because of that, as we grow up, that contributes to the self-confidence because you have a good foundation. You have a good core value. Then you feel more solid and more um, self-contained and content. And that contributes to the self-confidence. In Sydney, obviously you grew up in Sydney from 15 onwards, and you have had several different careers that you have done prior to being a motivational speaker. So what life epiphany influenced you into the sense of having a fresh perspective about what true happiness is all about? I, I think for me, um, like I mentioned earlier, I was seeking happiness as soon as I got to Australia. So it wasn't just one particular incident. That biggest incident is moving here. It's coming to Australia. I did not have the language skills. I did not have friends. Everything was completely different and opposite. That was when I already started seeking for happiness. And so that's when... Um, I started to pay attention, and then I noticed my mother. She's the one who shown, you know, the, the, the influenced my perspective or show me the perspective of happiness. Because while other people were seeking for financial wealth or materials wealth, she was seeking for something else. And what she was seeking was for peace. She was always, you know, praying for peace for the world. And so that's what influenced me um, on my perspective, how I do happiness, how I do true happiness, what true happiness is. Yeah. Interesting. Very, very interesting. When did you personally find a correlation between connection, happiness, and your emotional confidence? Well, um, at the time, I didn't really particularly think about emotional confidence as such because I was only 15 years old. But, you know, life is a journey and it's a process. And as I went on, I learned from many different life lessons. And it was with, you know, the constant daily reflections I learned from my mom at first and then with my siblings, with friends and people who come into my life that helped me realize, you know, the correlation between connection and happiness, but it, it wasn't, there wasn't a, a date or event, it was a journey, you know, it was a, yeah, a process. And so I guess it was more prominent when I turned 18, when I was 18 years old, then I realized, I looked back that, you know, when I was in Vietnam, all my friends were actually older than me. Interesting, they were like in their 30s. Um, and, and it's all because I enjoy listening and they love my company because I would listen. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think through that, that I realized, you know, when you truly connect with each other, um, 
that that's when happiness happens and that's when your emotional confidence comes about because you know when you can really relate, you know, when you can really feel belonging and can share with each other and that's how it builds the emotional confidence. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So currently, right now, who and what contribute to your happiness? You know, as a mother now, I have two children. My son is 14 years old. My daughter is 11 years old. They both are beautiful. I think as a mother, I would think you naturally say your children contribute to your happiness a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and then your partner and then your parents. You know, I still have a senior parent. My dad is turning 98 in a few months' time, so mm-hmm. it's amazing. <laughs> and naturally, you know, when you have senior parents, their wellness, would naturally contribute to your happiness as well, right? Because naturally when they're mm-hmm. unwell yes. and they're not well, you tend to get worried. It's natural. So those are the factors that contribute to my happiness. But if you read the book, though, when you read the book, you would know that, you know, I don't actually attribute true happiness from another person. Like, you know, I don't expect it from another person because I have learned that, True happiness got to come from within, and so um, yeah, I don't know if I answer that question. So it's like there's different layers of happiness, right? So from on the daily on a daily basis is my family, mm-hmm. you know, my children, my husband, my you know senior dad. But um, personally, personally, I just know that we have to access happiness from within, and that's our inner peace our inner joy and inner peace. No one can give us that. Really make us happy, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like I, I can cheer you up, yes. I can cheer you up. I can buy you ice cream. I can bring you pizza. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. can, I can give you other things that make you happy. My children can do that for me, and I would be happy. But then what happens when they go away? What happens when all of those things dissipated? Do I still have my happiness? I'm not sure, right? So therefore... Mm-hmm. From my experiences, true happiness is when we really, really experience our own inner joy and inner peace. And that's that's what true happiness is to me. Wonderful. Why did you decide to write Connection, the Currency to Happiness? So um, I wrote it for my children when I began to write it because um, when my mom passed away, before she passed away, I wish I would write down all the life stories, you know. And then we kind of did, but it, it wasn't complete. There was not, like, it wasn't a lot done. And then I would wish that I would interview my father, but he's getting a bit too old now to remember everything. And so I thought, before I get too old, I will write it for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I started writing for them. But then at the completion of the first draft, I heard of a passing of a friend in the U.S. And it saddened me a lot. And it was just so, so sudden. There was no time. There was just no time. Like this afternoon, we heard she was not well. The same night, she passed away. It was so sudden. Nobody expected. And it really shocked me. And that's when I thought, Mm, no, maybe I have to share. You know, I, I just feel like I, I just feel like I just need to share it, and that's when I made the decision that I would share with the world. Yeah. <laughs> very, very so interesting. That's why you can see the book is very personal. It's a very personal book. It is not your usual how to step one step five book. It's a very personal journey kind of book. But um, I, I feel I feel the calling, the courage to share so that others can benefit too. And and I'm glad it's helping so many people at the moment. Wonderful, wonderful. Please give us a synopsis of the book. So the book um, has a theme. The theme is uh, three hearts. Heart number one is connection, love and connection with yourself, for yourself. Heart number two is love and connection for each other. And heart number three is love and connection for the universe. So three hearts, uh, friends on Facebook often see me sign up with three hearts. Um, Three hearts is my happiness code. So that's the theme of the book. So for the book, 
at the beginning, um, it starts with very personal journey. I just share my story with you. And as we go, we realize that we need to connect with other people as well. So at first, it's just me, like heart number one. And then as we go, we share with each other, that's heart number two. And then as we go on, the last chapter of the book is dedicated to all the volunteers and charity workers around the world. And that's heart number three, connecting with the universe. Um, so that's the theme. But each chapter of the book, um, at the beginning, there will be a saying, like a quote, a quote, a saying, and then the story. And then at the end of the story, there will be some tips and then some quotes. So each chapter is, is in that format. But as you begin, the chapter is shorter, but as you go on, the chapter gets longer and longer. <laughs> So we, we connect and we learn and we evolve together. <laughs> it's a journey. The whole book is a journey. You grow as you read. I have many people have their favorite chapters. So some people like the parenting chapters. Some other people like other ones. But the main thing is that the readers have come back to share with me that they like to reread it. Because as we know, you know, life is a journey. Happiness is a discovery and a journey and a process. So they like to reread it. And because we grow each stage, each, each day, each stage, we feel differently. And so then, therefore, they see different messages each time they see it because there's so many stories in the book. It's not just my story. It's my journey, but there's many stories of other people's as well. So each time you read it, you might resonate differently with a different story or you might see a message more obviously more more prominently yeah and that's why the readers like to reread it so some readers love it they get it as a gift they give it away i have directors fight for their staff i have business women um she packages with her products to sell it together mainly she just want to promote the message of happiness you know Mm -hmm. and um she also give it away for her clients Mm-hmm. She, some uh, another person, use it as a um, a gift for reward for her team. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been it's been very heartwarming. Wonderful. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple, iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Linda Tomai Dong. She is a motivational speaker, best-selling author, and thought leader in happiness and connection based in Sydney, Australia. Linda is an in-demand life coach who helps her clients to attain and reignite their happiness by connecting with themselves, others, and the universe. She specializes in child and parental coaching with a particular interest in gifted education, and emotional intelligence to develop the fully rounded potential of a child. Linda and I are having a conversation about her amazing life's journey, her mission to inspire others to attain their ultimate happiness, and how you can use her simple techniques from her book, Connection, the Currency to Happiness, to experience bliss right now. Linda, let's talk about your book a little bit more. How should people read this book? Well, I think everybody uh, has a style of reading, but for the book itself, um, because the first chapter answers a few searching questions, you know, is this what you're looking for? Is this what you're seeking? So it's good to start from the beginning. And, you know, if you like order, by all means, read from the beginning to the end. But some people might say, I don't like to read it that way. You can just flip the page. You can just flip the page and wherever you end, um, end up opening, just read it from there. So there's no, no um, particular way to read it, but it does um, go in kind of like a journey. It does grow. So if you read from the beginning and continue through, um, it, it does flow on that way. Do you find it that way when you read it, John? I am reading from a perspective of wanting to accumulate information. So I do read it from the beginning to the end. But I find that people can really focus on specific things that they want to do and go to specific sections of the book. The wonderful part about the book is the fact that it does have tips to help people to kind of walk them through and say, okay, here you are right now, this moment in time. 
what do you need to do? This is how you get started. This is how you get rolling and let nature take its course. Yeah, so that's why people love it. And, and that's why you can also flip to any chapters you like. You know, say, for example, you might be going through some family issues. You know, you could just flip to the family chapters and, and quickly read that chapter first. And, and I love how you just share that, Johnny. Thank you so much. And that's precisely how it's designed so that, you know, there's some tips at the end that you could just quickly, you know, just go there quickly. You know, we know everyone's busy these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's why I try to, to have the tips at the end. Um, but, yeah, read it whichever way you like. You know, some people like to read it from the end. That's okay, too, because at the end, I, it shares how I a bit more in-depth on the journey, the story before the discovery. So the book is really easy to read. You can read it whichever way you like. You can put in your handbag, you know, take it out wherever, at the park, while you're in a line waiting, <laughs> or while you're riding on a train ride, a long train ride. Um, some people have it in the medical office, you know, while people are waiting. Um, you can have it anywhere, you know. Friends have it on the coffee table. Some people have it in the bathroom, wherever you like, in the bedroom table. And you really could just flip any page and read from anywhere you like. It's quite easy read book. What makes you focus on connection? Well, I think because the way my life was, so my life is such a journey, isn't it? Like, you know, from the end of the wartime to, you know, then to coming all the way here. And um, because I was not able to go anywhere, I had to be on my own a lot. So I've learned to connect with myself. And I've learned to connect with others when I can. Say, for example, the minimum time that I could be with my mom, <laughs> or the or the um, diversity of my whole family, my eight siblings. And so, yeah, yeah. So I, it just was my natural process in my life. That's just my life, I guess. Yeah. How does contentment relate to happiness and self-confidence? I, I think nowadays we focus a lot on self-confidence. And, you know, we, we, we depend on that. Um, and depending on, on that to, to be happy. Like, you know, I want to be confident so that I can be happy. Whereas I also found the other way around seemed to work quite well for me anyway. Um, so I teach my children the same. I feel that it is harder to tell someone to just be confident, you know, or tell them to be confident. Whereas if I teach them to to sit with themselves and be accepting for who they are, you know, have more self-acceptance and be content with what they have and what they are. And then in that way, they seem to be able to become more content. And when you're more content, you're naturally happier. And once you're happier, you are naturally coming out as a more self-confident person. So that's what I find. Instead of focusing on the confidence, say, for example, right, if you're not happy with yourself, I'm not happy with this thing that I've got or I'm not happy doing this, I'm just not happy the way I am, it's really hard to tell you to be confident, right? So I would find that if I, you know, find yourself and be okay with yourself and you tend to be content and then you'll be happy and naturally you have your self-confidence. It's quite a natural process when we do it that way. Would you agree? I'm looking at your book and I understand you walk them through in terms of how you arrive to happiness, the way you experience Mm -hmm. it yourself and how you measure contentment. Mm -hmm. I believe that each mm-hmm. individual have their own sense of contentment. That yes. definition is strictly up to each individual and happiness is in the moment and how that moment yes. eventually sort of replicates itself depends on the individual's plan of action on how long does that happiness last. Right. Yes. So then also when once we absolutely I absolutely agree with what you say and also once we um, know how to find our inner joy more frequently and how to access that inner peace, that's when you can sustain your happiness. That's when it lasts longer. 
and that's what my whole message trying to explain is how do we how do we access that so that the um, so-called outer layer of happiness doesn't when that goes say for example like when I have the diamond ring I'm very happy so what happens when I lose the diamond ring does that it takes away that happiness right so that's what I mean by when you access your inner peace, your true inner feelings, those are the feelings, those kind of happiness is the true happiness that lasts longer. And okay. so the question mm-hmm. was, how does contentment relate to happiness and self-confidence? What I'm trying to say is that I would build the person's contentment first and it will lead to self-confidence. So in, you know how these days a lot of people will focus on the self-confidence and then build to happiness. Whereas for me, I find that if I do it the other way around, if I, I build the focus, the center of the person, the inner feeling, once I build that, then happiness will come easily and the confidence will just be a natural state. That, that was what I was trying to explain. I hope I can articulate that clearly. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. I think these topics, we can go into really deep talks. But generally, what I was trying to say is that if you, if you um, build your, your core value, look at your core value, if you can be contained with what you have, what you are, then you're naturally happier. And then your self-confidence state will be a natural state for you, if what trying to say. In your book, you talk about a very interesting topic. In what way does surrendering contribute to self-connection? Yeah, so in the book, when I mentioned surrendering, um, it doesn't really refer to giving up as such or giving up hope per se, but more so referring to letting go of the struggle within ourselves. You know how at times, at certain situations, we have to struggle within ourselves. And I just find that we do better when we just let go of the struggle and that's when we can connect with ourselves better. Because when we're struggling, we cannot connect with ourselves. You know, we cannot be at peace. We cannot just, you know, be content and be happy and connect. And so when we let go of the struggle, that's when we can connect with ourselves better. Wonderful. Does nature really influence our connection and happiness? Yes, I do think so. Absolutely. Very, very much so. So I encourage others to connect with with the nature a lot. And I do a lot myself. I just find that the minute you go outdoors, the minute you go out with nature, you just naturally connect. Um, sometimes it might take a few practice for some people because they are not in nature a lot themselves. But for people who do enjoy outdoor, you'll find that it's very easy. It's very, very easy. And you just switch state quite quite naturally without even realizing it and you just naturally become a lot more relaxed and when you're a lot more relaxed then you can be on you know in in your happiness state easier than when you're busy full-on you know getting stressed and frustrated you know (laughs) so yes definitely definitely i I highly highly connect everyone to connect with with nature as much as possible wonderful how does self-acceptance contribute to happiness in a family setting Wow, this is a big one. <laughs> this is a big one. How? Well, when we accept ourselves, right, we tend to accept others better too, right? And vice versa, you know, as families, when our family members have difficult time in accepting themselves, it is always helpful, you know, to lend a helping hand in showing more love, more understanding, more compassion, to show that we accept the other family member you know, regardless of whatever the situation is, to help them realize that they are loved, you know, and they are accepted. And hopefully that will help them accept them better too because it, it, it's tricky when we don't accept ourselves. You know, when we don't accept ourselves, it's hard for us to feel our own love. And when we don't have our self-love, it's really hard to offer love to other people. So, yes, it's definitely a big one. It's a big factor in in terms of self-acceptance and having happiness in the family. It is a huge one. Um, Sometimes it is difficult when someone can't accept themselves. 
So um, as families, we all can help. Just shower them with love, lots of love, lots of compassion and understanding and patience, enormous amount of patience <laughs> in order for someone to realize that they are loved and that they can, um, yeah, they can be okay with it. Why is authenticity vital in self-love? It's vital because otherwise we would not know who we are. You know, we would not know really who we are, what we value, what, we, what would make us happy and what would not make us happy. So you've got to surely know yourself and you've got to be authentic in terms of recognizing yourself. If you truly don't like something, I mean, you don't have to tell the whole world, but you've got to tell yourself. You know, at least you've got to earn up to yourself that I really don't like that, you know, or um, you really like that. You really desire to get something. Give yourself the permission to, like, of, of course, as long as it's healthy, we're talking about, you know, healthy likes. Um, it is vital. It is vital because if we don't have that authenticity in ourselves, it's really hard to find our true love for ourselves. You know what I mean? Like if you don't know what you truly like, simply, right? If you don't know what you truly like, what you don't truly like, how could you be happy? You don't. And do I like it? Do I not like it? Am I happy? Am I not happy? Right? <laughs> so, yes, it's very, very, very important, very vital factor. Very interesting. You are, I presume, based on what you told us, in the mid-40s. So looking back from the time when you were 15 till now, mm. you had mentioned many a times that you are on this journey. If you can break it down for us, how does that transpire to the feelings of happiness that you have experienced over the decades? Um, it's a long process. <laughs> Life is a journey and it's a long process. It's a life discovery. So although I was um, intentionally seeking happiness at the age of 15, but subconsciously, um, when you read the book, I share that since the, age of, um, since the age of five, I started already um, noticing, observing, you know, my mom's doing her daily life. So subconsciously, I already started to um, notice that people are seeking for happiness, you know, not just my mom, but people in Vietnam, you know, the, the way of life, how people are yearning for happiness. So subconsciously, as young as I was, I already noticed that happiness was a, a thing that people are constantly seeking and looking for. And that was probably what had, had planted the seed in my head. And so then, therefore, by the time I come here, by the time I experience that I need to uh, look for happiness myself, that's when it was prominent that I have to actually start seeking in. And how does the journey go? I guess in my 20s, it just continues from that age, from the 15, from the age of 15. Um, it was just the constant question that I want to answer. It was just like a quest that I, I wanted to be on and I just wanted to find the answer to it. And so in my 20s, there were times that I really was, Seeking. I was really looking, and that's when I started to connect with nature a lot. And we, we are blessed, you know. I'm blessed that I live in Sydney. We have beautiful beaches. Uh, the beach are beautiful, and I often go to the beach to relax, recharge, to ask my questions. Uh, in the book, I also share that, you know, sometimes I'll listen to the waves and I'll get my answers. And so it, it's a process. It's a process throughout my life. And at different stage, you seek differently. You ask at different depth. And so you kind of like wanting to have more deeper answers, kind of. Yeah. So it's a process. And, and, and yeah, it's just over time. Wonderful. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Linda Tome Dong. She is a motivational speaker, best-selling author, and thought leader in happiness and connection based in Sydney, Australia. Linda is an in-demand life coach who helps her clients to attain and reignite their happiness by connecting with themselves, others, and the universe. 
She specializes in child and parental coaching with a particular interest in gifted education and emotional intelligence to develop the fully rounded potential of a child. Linda and I are having a conversation about her amazing life's journey, her mission to inspire others to attain their ultimate happiness, and how you can use her simple techniques from her book, Connection, the Currency to Happiness, to experience bliss right now. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Linda, how does one achieve happiness in their finance? Mm, This is a tricky one, (laughs) a tricky question, because I think it really goes back to one's value. You know, say, for example, if someone thinks money is everything, it's very different than um, someone who values more things than just money. So um, it, it really goes back to one's core value. If if someone says you know money is everything, the minute the minute the bank balance drops, their happiness will drop as well, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it really goes back to the core value. You know, if um, say for example, I, I'll just share my value how I see it, right? Um, so my parents would say, we come empty-handed, we will go empty-handed. And so then, therefore, I have been taught to look for meaning in life outside of the money sector. And with that outlook, with that concept, or with that thinking, um, my happiness in finance is not so tight, so cool, compared to someone who thinks that money is everything. Without money, I can't be happy kind of thing. So, yeah. So it really goes back to each one's core value. So if you, if, if, if you could see, if someone could see that, you know, we could still achieve a lot of things outside of the finance sector, then mm-hmm. they can attribute happiness a lot better in terms of, the fi- in, in terms of how to achieve happiness in finance. So say, for example, I, I, I'll see if I could give you a concrete example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, say, for example, A might say, I want to travel the world. And I can't do that naturally if I don't have money. So because I don't have money, I can't travel the world, so I'm not happy. Yeah? Simple. But B might say, yes, I want to travel the world too. And I don't have a lot of money either. But I'm still going to find a way to do it. And then B will start to use her creative mind, start to talk to people, start to build connections, and somehow find a way. And so it goes back to how we see the money sector. How do we see the, the value of money? How do we see you know, the happiness time with finance? It depends on how we view the dollar. <laughs> essentially um, yeah so if we can if we can look at finance as a means to help us to get to where we go but not essentially everything it will help achieve happiness in finance a lot more fluidly it will give a lot more flexibility it will give way to a lot more creativity as well in, in daily life and it will help reduce a lot of stress in dealing with finance. Very, very interesting. Can you describe what an authentic business connection is? Yeah, authentic connection in the book, I was trying to share that if we could all um, have business in an authentic way where we care for each other. So instead of looking at the dollar amount, instead of just looking at the number of sales, you know, we really consider the value that we offer to our clients, you know, excuse me, do they really need this product or is product B offer better value for the same amount of money rather than just, you know, just doing sales for the sake of the figures and the numbers and the turnover. Just a bit more consciousness, you know, just a bit more consciousness in terms of you know, in terms of the well-being for each other, the benefit for each other, because then in that way we can last longer, we can sustain better, 
say, for example, a lot of companies might create, you know, food that is mm-hmm. generating a lot of revenue, but might not be good for the health of the kids or the health of the consumer. And more, more and more of us now realizing that, right? So that's what I was trying to to share is having a more authentic business connection rather than just a business feeling, you know. And when we have real authentic connection in our business, we're bound to make friends, we're bound to create relationships, and there goes more happiness. <laughs> when we can create and, and create, when we can create more connections and more relationships. We're naturally happier because we've got more friends. You know, we've got someone else that we can share more things with. You know, you know, you can have another mm-hmm. friend in business that you can share your business journey because sometimes business journey could be quite lonely, especially for small business. You know, a lot of um, people who start their own business, they one man band, they everything, right? You know, you're the IT, you're the admin, you're the accountant, you're the everything. And you don't have another person to brainstorm with when you work on the business on your own day in, day out. You could be quite lonely. But when you have authentic connections, you can have, you know, industry peers. You can have peers in the same field. You make friends and you never know. There's even marriages that can can come about. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very interesting. How does fitness fit into the happiness equation? Well, generally speaking, we all want to be well. When we're not well, it's difficult to be happy, right? When you feel a headache, you know, when you have pains here and there, you have the discomfort, it's, it's, it's hard to be happy. But more so, um, you know, when you're fit, you're able to, you know, keep the unpleasant feelings at bay. And also, when you're fit, you just naturally are more uplifted you know, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you're naturally more um, energetic and more uplifted. I mean, so many research, right, and science to prove that fitness to do with happiness. So, mm-hmm. yeah, staying, staying fit. And sometimes I don't mean just physically fit, but I'm also meaning mental fitness, you know. There are people that born confined to a wheelchair, whatever situation is, but they feel very happy. Because their mind is fit, so it's more so mm-hmm. it's more so in the mind, the fitness in the mind. Um, but of course, right. physical fitness helps to you know, yeah. That's true. Very true. What is your definition of fidelity in happiness? Okay, so this one is very interesting as well. This one is in chapter eleven of my book, right? So according to the Oxford Dictionary. Fidelity means faithfulness to a person, a cause, or belief, demonstrated by continuing loyalty and support, right? So that was the definition. Um, So if I may, I'll just read this passage from my book to share with the audience, and it will will help articulate it a lot better. When I first think of fidelity, the thought begins with an individual, like our life partner, like you and many others. I used to wonder at the age of 15, does love really last forever? Can we really have the happily ever after life? And does eternal love exist? As I kept seeking for the meaning of life and searching for my happiness, I realized that there isn't just me and him or you and I, but there's all of us. And I also realized the following. While still young and in school years, Happiness is found in our friendship. If your best friend is upset, it upsets you. While you're dating, if you get a broken heart, all your friends and family worry about you. Once you're married, your happiness is not just about the two of you. There are the extended family-related matters, the mother-in-law, the family-in-law. When we hear of unforeseen circumstances happening in our neighborhood, in our community, or in other parts of the world, it also affects our inner peace and happiness. Therefore, fidelity is not just about two people. We are all linked to each other in one way or another. And so I have discovered that there is an extended eternal love that we have. 
apart from the parental eternal love, like the love that I still feel between my mom and me, even though she is no longer physically here. So that's what my discovery is with fidelity in happiness. Very, very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Where are you now in your happiness journey? Well, I would say that I have found the true definition of happiness, what true happiness is for me. But, you know, life will always throw us challenges, you know, and especially at times that you don't expect. We will always, always have more challenges. And life is a journey, you know. We can be happy today and might not be happy tomorrow. We can be happy this moment, but not the next moment. And I'm human too, you know. But I guess I'm just a little bit, (laughs) just a little bit ahead. (laughs) And I just have a little bit more tips on my steering wheel. Um, to know how to steer, you know, when 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 challenging challenges come at me. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. life is a journey, you know. Like we all human, we all go through the same thing. We all have the same emotions. I I'm not mm-hmm. some alien. I'm not from somewhere. <laughs> so um, <laughs> where am I? I I guess I have found meaning. I know that the true happiness is in the joy and in the peace, and I know how to access this. That's why I share mm-hmm. the book so that other people can can access it too. Uh, but like everybody, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it like everybody, you you got to you got to deal with what you got to deal with, you know. And and like I said, you know, life it's a journey. We all go through it. We all go through it. And so I'm at peace. How about that? <laughs> to answer Wonderful. the question shortly, I am at peace. Wonderful. But doesn't mean I don't have my unhappy moments. I still have my unhappy moments. I understand. Wonderful. Do you have any advice on how people can jumpstart their journey? Uh, yes, I have some tips, but I wouldn't say advice as, as such because you know, what works for one person might not work for another person and everybody's situation is different, every circumstance is different. And and because life is a journey, I don't think anybody would be able to give advice for life, sort of, the tips I can, yes. And my tips would be really to get outdoor more, to be in the sun, be in the nature, the more the better. The nature really has amazing benefits that we don't see. You know, even just stand out in the sun for five minutes in the morning, especially in winter morning, even more even more precious. I find that, you know, just get out in the sun, talk to people, just don't 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 recluse to yourself. The only time you have quiet time is when you intentionally like, you know, go out to the park, go to the ocean, wherever that you feel comfortable and have your own quiet time but to connect with nature but not to recruit to yourself. It's, it's, it's a big difference. Yeah, big difference in having your own quiet time as opposed to shut down and recruit to yourself, you know. So to jumpstart, really just get outdoor. Get outdoor as much as you can. Connect with nature, connect with people, talk with people um, because once you're outside, your mind's more open up you're more intent to be open to people. If you have a very busy mind, you can park the thoughts, you can empty the space in your mind a little bit. And once that happens, then you can have more room for creativity to come. And once you have creative minds going on, creative ideas, you know, you're, you refresh. You refresh and renew your energy and it gives you a sense of new directions and more choices in life. And so that's what I would suggest is really simply get out. Get out as much as you can. Wonderful. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings? My books are available on Amazon in 13 countries. It's also um, on the Walmart site, on Barnes & Noble, Indies book. It's on many sites. Uh, It's in psychology reference. It's in holistic medicine reference in self-help reference, just Google it. You could, you could get it quite easily. Um, how to stay in touch with me? The easiest place is um, Facebook. I have two Facebook pages, Linda Duong author. So Linda is in L-I-N-D-A. My surname is Duong, D for Delta, D-U for Uniform, O for Oscar, N for November, G for Gold. 
So D-U-O-N-G is my surname. Linda Duong author, Facebook page, or Link Coaching Facebook page. And then my website is lindaduong.com.au. And if anybody would like me to speak at your events or um, do any coaching, any group coaching, please feel free to contact me at linda, what, linda at lindaduong.com.au. So linda at lindaduong.com.au. Wonderful. How has writing the book impacted you personally? Um, it has been able to help me to help more people. So previously with coaching, I would be doing one-on-one or I do um, small group talks. But now, like now, I'm talking to all of you, all of your wonderful audiences, Johnny, the thousands, millions of audiences, and there's many shows I've been on. I have been able to circle coach one to a million. Um, So that's my goal. I really hope to help as many people as possible in the shortest time possible. Why? Because we all will be happier. I have coach who read, I had people who read my book became trauma coach. I had writers who read it and became authors. Someone became bestseller author. Very humbling. I've got so many heartwarming stories. Yeah. So may I share two stories, Johnny? Sure. Yeah. So um, one particular one was a, a Sydney mom. She was a business mom, but she was just not happy that week. She said she was just down, nothing can help, not even seeing doctor help. But luckily, her friend had bought multiple copies of my book and gave her one. And she said it was my book that helped her pick up the spirit. And then she can continue on to be, you know, mom for the twins and continue her business. And it was just really, really heartwarming. Yeah. And the other story is I have a, a lady in her 60s. She was in the U.S. She still is in the U.S. Um, so we're talking about someone who has life experiences because she's in her 60s. Uh, she was a ex-Harvard student. So, you know, someone who's got high level of education, intelligence. But um, she wanted to be a trauma coach because, she, you know, she experienced it and she wants to come back to help. Um, I've got permission to share, by the way. Um, the only purpose is to help sh- more people, right? We all want to help more people to be happier. And, um, yeah, we all get tested, right? She was tested. Are you sure you want to do this now? You know, in my book, I share even the king gets tested, you know. Are you sure now? Are you, blah, blah, blah. You know, we always get tested, right? Are you good enough? Are you sure? Blah, blah, blah. So she said it was my book that she kept turning back to again and again and, Eventually, last August, she announced on my Facebook timeline that she's ready to be a trauma coach. So it's really heartwarming. It has been creating a ripple effect because now she can go on. Both of these people are in the health arena. Now they can go on and help hundreds of other people. And this is just two stories. There's many more. So, yeah, it's been beautiful. It's been beautiful that we're really connecting hearts. Wonderful. We are coming close to the end of the show. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Yes, I sure will. And I'll just quickly also share with you what I'm up to as well. So I'm writing the next book, and I'm also working on a global project that is creating a more connected society. I've got ambassadors around the world waiting for this to be launched. So if anyone's interested, please get in touch and let me know. Recipe for living... Well, mine is quite simple. I have seven points. It's quite simple. The first one is keep things simple and keep being curious because when we're curious, we will keep learning. And point number two is try not to buy into too much negative news. Try to protect yourself from the, from the negative news. And number three is learn something or do something different every day or as, soon, as, as often as possible. So learn something or do something different as often as possible. And number four is get outdoor. Get outdoor and be with nature. Talk to people. Number five is have some quiet time to yourself. Enjoy your own quiet time. It's very, very important. That's how you can nurture your mind, and that's how you can empty your mind as well. So it's very, very powerful, that one. And number six is be flexible. If you're flexible, you'll find that you're less in a situation where you get frustrated. So be flexible, it has been really helping me. 
And last one, we all know, take action. <laughs> Don't overthink things, but just do it. Really, just do it and live your dream. Because when we overthink things, we can't take action. So there you go. <laughs> Wonderful. That's beautiful. Linda, thank you for the great recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, July 17th. My guest will be Dina Merriam. She is the founder and convener of Global Peace Initiative of Women, bringing spiritual resources to address critical global challenges such as conflict, social justice, and ecological scarring of the earth. Dina serves as the vice chair of the Millennium World Peace Summit of Religion and Spiritual Leaders held at the United Nations in New York. She was honored as a recipient of the Niwano Peace Prize by the Niwano Peace Foundation in Japan for her years of commitment to interfaith dialogue. Dina and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable spiritual journey, her passion for global peace, and her latest book, The Untold Story of Sita, an empowering tale for our time. It is a new look at the classic Ramayana by the people of Sita's household, where the role of sacred feminine is predominant. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to smmktalkradio.com. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day. Linda, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me from Sydney, Australia. Have a blessed, wonderful day. Thank you so much, Johnny. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.